This is TK331, a Star Wars EU slash Legends podcast. I'm Crystal, a Star Wars enthusiast, but I've never read a thing I liked that I couldn't complain about a little bit. And I'm Thomas, a Star Wars completionist who has previously read the entirety of the EU. So, what are we talking about today? Today we are returning to Tales from Jabba's Palace and reading, and then there were some, The Gamorrean Guards Tale, written by William F. Wu, edited by Kevin J. Anderson, and published by Bantam Spectra in January 96. This is William F. Wu's only Star Wars story. He's been publishing stories since the 70s and has even worked with fellow Star Wars author Michael A. Stackpole on An Enemy Reborn. He's also written in Isaac Asimov's Robot Universe. And then there were some tells the story of Gartog, the Gamorrean guard who we have seen pop up in most of the short stories that we've read in this collection so far. He's not really well liked by anyone in Java's palace, even the other Gamorrean guards. Let's get into it. Gartog is on patrol in Jabba's palace, and here's a Wookiee roaring behind him, helping set where this is happening in the timeline. So Gartog hurries to Ortog, the Gamorrean guard's leader, to try and help and show his worth, his value to the cause. Ortog tells Gartog to shut up, and Rogua, another Gamorrean guard, shoves him away. Like we said, he's not well-liked. 3PO says Jabba has agreed to the deal, as Jabba signals the guards to take Chewbacca away. Ortug and Rogua step up. Gartog tries to step up beside them, but Ortug tells him to go back on patrol. Gartog then asks to go on the sail barge, but is told that he has to earn that privilege. It's a privilege you don't want, buddy. Yeah. But also, I feel a little bad for him. Oh, I, I do too. The other Gamorreans bully him. They're jerks. They are jerks. They also all speak in much more complete sentences than I anticipated that they would, and Gartog kind of doesn't, which is why they bully him. Earlier that day, Gartog found Porcellus kneeling over Akbaz, the commander of the sail barge. And he asks what happened, and Porcellus says that Akbaz isn't dead. He's just asleep. Porcellus says he'll take Akbaz to his quarters. Gartog offers to help, but Porcellus declines. And of course, we saw that scene from Porcellus's point of view earlier in the collection. Mm-hmm. Later, Gartog passes by Danic Jericho. Love that he pops back up in this series. That was a surprise. <laughs> At least in this story, I think, for you. Yeah, I was like, why is this guy here? I mean, it makes sort of sense. That he'd be in Jabba's palace? Yeah, yeah, he's a weirdo. He is one of the only ones in the palace besides Jabba who Gartog is actually afraid of. He also thinks of Jericho as a snot vampire, which... Best nickname ever. Yeah, true enough. He hears a noise in the kitchens and goes to investigate, and he sees Flegman on the ground and asks, is, is he asleep? Because he had seen Akbaz earlier and was told he was asleep. Riggies, you know, the dude with the three eyes, the Grand, says he brought Flegman here from near Effent Mondrum to perform garbage sniffing of the last resort, but he was too late. He says someone with authority should take over. It's at this point that Gartog realizes the boy is dead and not asleep. He's a little slow in the uptake. Yep. He picks up the body, walks out, and wonders how he can solve the mystery. I mean, you can't blame him. Like, a bunch of different people and aliens have different, like, death processes. Gartog can't find anyone to question. People cover their noses and quickly walk away from him when he approaches. He goes to the Rancor and sees Malakili feeding it. He asks if Gartog wants to feed the body to the Rancor, and Gartog says, no, it's evidence of a crime. The longer he's carrying this body, the more it's just kind of continually rotting. Yeah, like this is over a period of, like, days. Yeah, it's, it's pretty disgusting, it's pretty, and that thing gets rancid. Pretty gnarly. Gartog goes back to the kitchen, but Bartellus tells him to get that body out of there. Because, you know, kitchens, gotta be a clean place. 
I mean, in Jabba's palace, I wouldn't really expect that they're highly concerned with food safety. No, but there's definitely not highly concerned with food safety and a rotting corpse being in the kitchen. For sure, yeah. I just, I actually imagine that there were a lot of rotting corpses hanging around Jabba's palace. But not in the kitchen! Yeah, they're Hopefully. usually in the rancor pit, I yeah. guess. I think they get to the pit before they really start rotting. Right, yeah. was a great garbage disposal. Yeah. So Gartok goes back to the guards' quarters, and Ortog asks what Gartok is doing with that thing. And Gartok says that's evidence. Rogua shouts that it's rotting, and it can't come in here. Ortog then tells Rogua to select guards for the next sail barge trip. Gartog asks to be picked and jumps up and down in excitement. Ortug says he can come if he finds the boy's killer before they leave. I think it's at this point, like, as he's jumping up and down, like, pieces are falling off of yeah. the boy's body. Oh, my God. So gross. Don't read, listener, don't, if you ever read the story in the future, do not read it while you're eating. We should have warned them before they started listening to the episode. If you're hungry and or eating, stop listening. Listen to this later. Does it get worse from here? Depends how much detail we will go into. Because they're already nauseated at this point. I mean. Probably. Yeah, they're. Sorry, listener. <laughs> After Gartok leaves, he sees a monk wearing an earring. And the monk goes around a corner. And by the time Gartok catches up to him, Jaquil is kneeling over the monk. And he asks if the monk is asleep. And Jaquil says, no, no, he's meditating. Gartok says he can't meditate here and picks him up and puts him over his other shoulder and walks away. Gartok learns about a Jedi killing the Rancor and that he'll soon be taken to the Sarlacc. Gartok sits down to think and ends up falling asleep because thinking is hard work. And Ortog wakes, wakes him up, I think probably by kicking him, because nice guy this boss he's got. I actually don't agree with what you said just a moment ago. Thinking is hard work, and therefore you'll fall asleep. As a person with anxiety, opposite <laughs> experience. Thinking is easy work, and it means you'll never sleep again. Fair enough. <laughs> Except for, for Gartog. Gartog doesn't suffer from anxiety. And Gartog says he has solved it. It's a conspiracy! He says all of the dead were killed by the snot vampire. He then asks if he can go on the sail barge. And Ortog's kind of just like, what now? How did you find this out? Where is the evidence? And Gartog, this I think might be the smartest thing he ever says, there is no evidence. And snot va vampire never leaves evidence when he kills, so he must be guilty. Ortog denies the request and tells Gartog to go away before he cuts his head off. After he leaves, Gartog asks, asks the bodies what they want to do now. I should also point out, at this point, Gartok still thinks the monk is meditating and is not dead. Yeah. So what'd you think? So, I felt like this was kind of a letdown after how much the this like guard had wandered through all of the other stories. Yeah, he's like been the connecting force in not every story, but most of the stories. Like, I know that the the mystery, like, there's no mystery around the monk's death. We know how he died. But with Flegman... And Akbuzz. And Akbuzz. It's still up in the air, right? Unless he's right. Unless it was the snot vampire. Yeah, so I was just kind of like, why did we have this character appear so many times in earlier stories if there wasn't going to be a reason for that? He was a poor choice to be the Phil Coulson of it all. Yeah. Wow. What a 2010 level reference. <laughs> or sorry, 2012? Iron Man came out in 2008. Yeah. Avengers Didn't... was 2012. Yeah. Because we saw Avengers in theaters in Oregon when I was so sick. Yeah. <laughs> Something I would never do today. No. Go to a theater while ill. But like, it was a different time. It was. 
Yeah, this is just a, it's a weird, disgusting story. There were several descriptions of just rotting bodies and bodily <laughs> fluids that just were frankly flat out gross. You know, it didn't bother me as, uh, maybe it was because you had overly prepared me for it because you were, you said to me, don't snack while you read this because I do have a habit of snacking while reading. So that by the time I got to it, I was just like, it's fine. I don't know. Part of it is definitely that I'm not a very visual person. That would help. And so, you know, sometimes it does happen to me where I read something that's really gross and I get the the image of it stuck in my head and I can't like get past it. But that's actually rarer for me than it is common for me. Also, I I think when I read this, I had been playing a lot of Resident Evil 4 Remake. Had been. And so I was a little desensitized to gore and honestly still am at this point. <laughs> but it was gross. That being said, though, one thing I did love about this story was his conclusion that Danik Jericho, it feels surprisingly smart for him, honestly. And I I, I thought it was great that that was what he came up with. And I just very much appreciate his name of Snot Vampire. Oh, it's snot fantastic vampire. and wonderful. and So good. Yeah. Soup. Snot. I did feel bad for Gartog. Oh, yeah. Like... He's an outsider even amongst outsiders. Like, the Gamorians are not well thought of no. by anybody else at Jabba's Palace. Like, everybody else thinks that they're stupid. So, to then have all of them think that he is stupid. And, like, he kind of is. He is. I, I feel like for a Gamorian guard who's going to be the point of view character, this is a better choice than Ortug or Rogua because they, they are jerks. And It's like reading about, what was the, the Godel? in oh yeah most eisley like you don't really want to read stories about like that unless they end up dead like the godel did yeah but so i actually like that he was an outsider to them like that made him more sympathetic and i liked him more because of it yeah it just didn't feel like there was an actual conclusion to that part of the story it saved his life i guess it did like we know that because we've presumably all seen *Frame of the jedi so many times so many times i i could not tell you how many times i've watched that movie in my life i i probably couldn't either not because i've watched it so many times but just because like i just don't know it's it's empire for me that i couldn't tell you how many times i watched sure. <laughs> probably attack of the clones too don't at me i was a teenager <laughs> i don't know i i almost think it would have been better if it was ortug or ragua like, it was kind of frustrating to follow such a dense protagonist. It was. The entire time you're kind of yelling at him, like, they're dead. It's obvious that they're dead. So maybe an outsider of the Gamorreans, but not for this reason. Yeah. Like, if he was actually smart, but they just acted like he was dumb, like, if for some other, like, social cast-ish reason, they... Or, you know who did this much better? Mm. Wraith Squadron and Piggy. When he was so much smarter than them? Yeah. Oh, Peggy. Obviously, that wouldn't have worked here. No. But, yeah, I just, you know, it's hard to follow a dumb protagonist. It is. I'm not not saying that, like, I'm so smart, and it's such an act of suffering for me to have to watch the little people go about their daily business or whatever. It's just, like, as a reader, you know, I think the average reader is smarter than Gartog. Significantly. Like, it's just kind of tough to see him, like, bumbling about, not making any progress. It weirdly feels almost like a children's story, except for the descriptions of the rotting flesh. Yeah. 
It totally could be a children's protagonist again, yeah. except for the gore, which makes it a little disjointed. I feel like because of that. Actually, that could have been really fun if Gartog had been quite a bit younger. Like, imagine mm. that instead of him being stupid, it's that he's, he's in training, like he's and like excited. Yeah, because he he was excited to go on the sail barge. Yeah, like the jumping up and down feels like a youthful thing. And then it becomes this like really kind of creepy juxtaposition that this like young person is trying to uncover these murders and is carrying around this corpse and like it's kind of like a twisted fairy tale almost well fairy tales originally were twisted so just untwist them from what we've made them into which is all disney-ish and nice yeah i think we solved it there you go (laughs) so that is and then there were some the gamorian guards tale now let's check the holonet for messages. So first up, we have a tweet from the Star Wars Legends Lounge. And in it, Aaron is talking about the Black Fleet Crisis. He says, when I was younger, my friends and I never called the series the Black Fleet Crisis. We called it the Yavetha Threats. And frankly, it's better than the Black Fleet Crisis. Or, well, it makes more sense. Yeah, it's a more accurate name. Because honestly, the Black Fleet kind of turned out to be a huge red herring. <laughs> A little bit. Like, it was very important, but not to the... It was important to the conflict because it left. It could have been more important. Yes. It just wasn't. Like, I, I think Black Fleet Crisis is a... I like that title better, but for this series, Yavetha Threat's a much better title. I'm also kind of jealous of the fact that when he was younger... I, I, I don't know if he's saying, like, when he was a kid... Probably not, but I just imagine when I was younger, meaning when I was a child for some reason. Uh, I'm kind of envious of the fact that he had friends to talk about Star Wars EU books with. So I've actually started listening to Legends Labs recently, more on that in a second. And he's been saying that one of the reasons why he's doing this podcast is because he doesn't really have a lot of people to talk about that with. So this is his opportunity to do so. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if he had a lot of people to talk to growing up about. I'm just remembering when I was reading EU books when I was in middle school, and I basically always concealed them inside a textbook while I was reading them at school for fear of, you know, you know, yeah. just being even more of a nerd than I already was. At some, I remember for a while, I was a little embarrassed at some point, I just embraced it. Yeah, that sounds like you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and we also have an, an email from Aaron. Uh, so just as a reminder, a few months ago, we were guests on the Legends Lounge back in April. And while we were talking with Aaron, we talked about the Thrawn Ascendancy trilogy. So he writes, hello, Crystal and Thomas. I finally read the Thrawn Ascendancy trilogy, and you were correct. I liked it much better than the first canon Thrawn trilogy, even with all of the Chiss names containing 14 vowels and 12 apostrophes. Not an exaggeration. It technically is an exaggeration, no. but I he's right in spirit. <laughs> You know, (laughs) even though I'm not a big fan of Outbound Flight, I liked the allusion to the book and Jedi Padawan Lorana Jinsler in the final Thras flashback in Lesser Evil. It's been long enough to have read Outbound Flight. I did not. I don't remember Lorana Jinsler well from that book. I don't either. God, I wish that I could remember things better, but it's been a long time since I read Outbound Flight. I think you've only read it once or twice. I think I've only read it once. And I think it's been longer since you've read it. Yeah. We'll have to go back to that one at some I, point. I don't think it was one of Zahn's best books, but I, I did think it was a solid read. Yeah, 
I honestly don't remember well enough to say. I know that when I read it at the time, I really liked it. I, I don't know that I loved it, but I really liked it. He also writes, I couldn't follow all the political machinations of Chiss society in the Ascendancy books, but I did find a lot of it interesting. Parts of the series felt more like a Star Trek story than Star Wars, but Zahn's stories have always leaned more towards the science fiction end on the sci-fi slash fantasy spectrum for me. Totally agree. Yeah, that is in a lot of ways his greatest strength, but also can be, especially for the Ascendancy series, make it really hard to get into that first one especially is really difficult. I do think like we're so much at the mercy of our minds sometimes. You do have to be in a specific kind of mindset to be able to like get through that crunch. Yeah. I think the first Thrawn Can trilogy is probably the easiest of his three trilogies to read. Yeah, but almost to its detriment. I mean, like like Aaron, when I eventually went back and reread those canon Thrawn books, Disney canon, I was like not super impressed with them i still really like them a lot when i reread them but that i think the issue is as a whole so in the legends of aaron has talked about the original thrawn trilogy and he calls it the the whole is greater than the sum of its parts hmm. and i think the issue with the first canon th- trilogy is that's not the case because they don't connect very well no they don't <laughs> they're just basically separate stories about thrawn actually the they Empire. like feel like they're there for a different purpose they feel like they're there f- to fill in the gaps about what Thrawn was doing in specific times. And that's not always a great way to write a trilogy. <laughs> no. As a standalone story, I think they're all really strong. But as a connective trilogy is where it's weakest. I don't agree with you. No. I don't think that they're strong necessarily as standalone stories. No. I don't think they're super weak. He goes on, My favorite version of Thrawn's character is still the version from the Heir to the Empire trilogy and Rebels, where he's definitely a villain. But I have a feeling Thrawn's portrayal in the upcoming Ahsoka show and any other shows or movies going forward will probably be a mesh of villain and Sherlock Holmes. Maybe he's the Dr. Moriarty of Star Wars. I'd be fine with that. <laughs> well, I agree. I I prefer the version of Thrawn that is from the Heir to the Empire era. I mean, this could just be like... A version of Nostalgia Blinders, because that was the first Thrawn that I knew. Mm-hmm. First Thrawn um, that most people knew. Yeah. And when he came back in Rebels, that was very clear. Like, I feel like there's a clear connection between those two Thrawns. Like, the, it feels like they're fulfilling similar roles in the story. You know, the thing that I, I think I struggled with the mo- most in the Ascendancy trilogy was feeling... He was almost too much of a hero? Yes. I mean, don't get me wrong. He does stuff that is super questionable. Especially in the third book. Like, yes. I, I, There's I think, a reason it's called Lesser Evil. Yeah. <laughs> like, I, I think Zon maybe even heard that criticism of the first two books and kind of upped the villainous nature like, <laughs> a little bit. Pulled it back. Because, like, there, there are moments in that book where you are legitimately concerned he is about to do some awful things. Yeah. And he ends up not needing to do it. Do you believe he would do it? Yeah. I would prefer him to, going forward, lean hard into villainhood, I guess. So do you think he will be a mesh in Ahsoka? I would prefer him not to be. I'd, I feel like we've seen, well, as we're recording this, a new trailer for Ahsoka just came out yesterday. But we have seen little enough of Thrawn, and we have seen little enough of what the goals of the so-called baddies are in these trailers that i'm not really sure what any of their roles are it seems like elsbeth and balen and what's the girl's uh, name Shin, i think 
Jin. It seems like they're searching for Thrawn, but it's unclear to me if they're searching for Thrawn for Thrawn's sake. I almost wonder if they're searching for him because he has found something in the unknown regions since he's been, you know, somewhere out there with Ezra and the space whales. (laughs) Like, that's a great band name. Ezra and the space whales. That's good. So, I don't know. I kind of agree with Aaron that I think that the reality is that Thrawn's portrayal is going to be less less total villain, more kind of like person you have to ally with temporarily for reasons. But so, I would prefer him to be a villain. I, I'm kind of torn. On the one hand, I love him as the villain, but I also feel like he's he's more than just a villain. If that makes sense. Like, he is not a good person. I would never say that. He's a good definition of someone who's always doing things for a so-called greater good. Yeah. And I think that's a really interesting character, and I probably really want to see that on screen, but I also, thinking back to Rebels, since that was Filoni and Ahsoka is Filoni, if the, his interpretation of Thrawn is more villainous based on Rebels, mm. then he might be more of, a rebel in, more of a villain in the show. And it'll also depend on how much like consultation they did with Zahn. I know they did some. And it'll depend on how much of a say he had. And and also like for Zahn, like, because again, he has written Thrawn as a villain looking back to Heir to the Empire trilogy. Mm-hmm. And depending on which Ascensi book, you, or which of uh, the first Thrawn can trilogy you're reading, he's also very much a villain. Yeah. He's an imp. Yeah. For whatever, you know, he has his reasons, but like, yeah, I guess we'll see. I mean, I'm very excited about Ahsoka. Same. Very excited. So, Aaron asks a question. With characters that started in Legends, like Thrawn, Ventress, Darth Bane, and maybe Korinhorn being brought into canon, who are some others you think would work if they were brought over? Real fast on Korinhorn. He says maybe because of the Kenobi show. Yeah. There was a kid. And we never hear his name. Yeah. But I think it was in the credits, it said Corrin. And I think his mom's last name was Horn or something. <laughs> like, it, it's, he says maybe because of that. Yeah, yeah. Star Wars fans looking for stuff. Yeah, we're good at that. What do you think? So I think some big, obvious ones uh, will simply will not work. Star Wars Explained had a great video about Mara Jade and why, like, the time has probably passed for that. I actually think she's one that could work. But you have to tweak her story in some ways very significantly, but in some ways very lightly, very slightly. You have to change the time period and who her master is. Mm. If it's, let's say, something set around Ray and trying to t- track Ray down rather than Luke. Wow, you might as well be writing a totally different character then. Yeah. Like, what's the point? I'm just saying, like, that, that, <laughs> that's one of the few ways. I don't even know if, think that would work well necessarily, but I could see maybe someone trying that. But so, I agree, she, she'd be a hard one. I don't. Th- it's fine not to have every character come over, just like just as it's fine for Ray not to exist in the EU. Yep, I love Ray. We don't need her in the EU. I think Card would be a great fit. Yeah, and I think there's a game coming up where actually he would be a perfect fit. Ellos. Yeah, I don't know if he's going to show up, but I mean, if there was a time to bring in Talon Card, it's that game. <laughs> that game. I also think. In the quote-unquote Mandiverse, in any of these shows, he would fit. Yeah. Especially if they're building to an Heir to the Empire movie. He actually, I think, also could fit in Andor, season two. Yeah. 
or a solo sequel. Just because of who he is, there's a lot of different eras he could fit in. I mean, I, I don't know what's ever going to happen with Rogue Squadron at this point, but I still wouldn't mind somehow bringing Rogue and Wraith characters over. I, I would love Wraith to come over. I, I think the nice thing about them is that even though the conflict that they'll ultimately be in will change, just because of the way that the post-Episode 6 timeline diverges, I think you can still make their emotional arcs work in really like convincing and powerful ways. You're just sort of changing the scenery. Yeah. Well, again, you could fit those, I think, in any of the Mando shows. Like, if you wrote a book at, during Ahsoka or the Filoni movie and kind of inserted them into that, I think that could work. Yeah. I know he's not really an EU character because he was in the original movies, but I feel like he just got so much more exploration in the EU than he's gotten in Disney canon Wedge. Oh, yeah. I feel like the time has kind of passed for that. He was in the Aftermath trilogy. That's been his biggest appearance so far. Obviously, he had a brief cameo in Rise of Skywalker, and he was also in Rebel Rising. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I would love, I would always love more Wedge content. Well, I've just about listed all the characters that are memorable to me, so you better say some. I mean, there's a... The big one for me, of course, will always be the Vong. I would love to see them. I'd love to see... It's no not a character, that's a group. Fine. Nominor. I'm sure I'm saying his name horribly. Gnome Anor. It sounds so close to um the uh, guy in Wakanda Forever. What's his name? Namor? Yeah. You huh? said Nominor. It's well, like one syllable off. <laughs> how would you pronounce that name? Nominor. It's two words. Seems right. Or... Nom Anor, Nom Anor. Nom Anor sounds wrong. There. <laughs> you know what I mean. Now. It's a long name, so it could go a lot of different ways. That is not what I pictured them looking like. Uh, are those images representative? <laughs> this one is. Man, that is also not what I pictured them looking like. Is that a mask? Listener, you may be wondering, uh, why one. would she... Th- think she knows anything about what the Vong look like. She's never read any of that era of the EU. And to that I say, I know like three facts about them, and so I've pictured a certain thing in my head, and it's just not what Tom is showing me on Google Images right now. <laughs> but say la vie. <laughs> you know what I actually wouldn't mind seeing come over from the EU? Mm. Stories that were just okay. Characters that were just okay. And give them a second chance. Brush them up. Yeah. Give so, him the glow up. Dolph from New Rebellion that we're about to read. Or looking back at the Black Fleet Crisis, the Aveta, bring them in. Like, there's some really interesting character concepts that weren't bad, but the execution could have been better. So I, I almost want to bring characters like that that didn't get, I think, their justice, if you will, in the EU. Bring those those kinds of characters over. That could be interesting. I think I have a hard time imagining what fills the space between the original trilogy and the sequel trilogy very well. Because it's in, so different. Yeah. Yeah. In in Disney canon. But I don't know. Just because I lack imagination doesn't mean someone doesn't have an imagination. <laughs> um, so hopefully that answers your question, Aaron. And so, like I said earlier, I have recently started listening to his podcast, The Legends Lounge. It's I have about 30 episodes in now to it. Wow, you've made great progress. Yes. Um, so, Tom's going to write me a list of the episodes I'm allowed to listen to that are not 
Spoiler danger. <laughs> yes. So one, one thing I'll say to you, listener out there, um, I think it's a great Legends podcast. There is something to be said for brevity, and he does such a much better job than we do of keeping things concise and to the point. Oh, yeah. Most of his episodes are about 30 minutes long. The longer ones are 40, 45. But those are, so far, the I've seen few and far between. Um, but he also jumps around the timeline a lot more. So, like, he started with the Darth Bane trilogy. He's also done the Thrawn trilogy. He's done the Rogue Squadron books. I'm going to get to the Wraith books soon. He did Kenobi. So he's kind of been all over the place in terms of timeline. He's using this to look at books he loves, but also read books he hasn't read yet. So right now I'm listening to the Coruscant, the Coruscant Knights trilogy that he's reading for the first time, which is shortly after Order 66 between episodes 3 and 4. So if you want to, uh, another uh, perspective on Legends, I would recommend giving him a listen to. Again, it's much shorter than uh, <laughs> we are. That's probably for the best. It, like I said, you can get, I've got listened to 30 episodes in like two weeks. You, I don't think you can do that for us. I've tried to get Tom to write shorter notes. Sorry. <laughs> he wants to give a blow-by-blow of everything that happens in the book. Also, my apologies, our next episode, I think our longest yet. The people know what they're coming here for. By this point, yeah. So thank you to Aaron for that email, and if you give me a listen, I hope you uh, enjoy his podcast as well. We also received an email from our friend Jan, who is one of our oldest listeners, I think, at this point. Oh, yeah. He's the first one who ever sent us an email. Yeah. So it's always great to hear from you, Jan. He started out with, hi, Thomas, Crystal, and Kyber. I hope this mail finds you all right and not that much baked. Summer is here in South Germany, and me and my wife will leave tonight and drive six hours to... Moran. Moran in Italy south tyrol and hopefully have a great time there in the next two weeks oh that sounds amazing it does i hope you have a great vacation <laughs> have a safe drive six hours is a, a long day in the car hey we've got one podcast <laughs> it always the scale of things in europe always surprises me the idea that you could drive from germany to italy in six hours is just sort of incredible to me we can drive six hours to stay in the same state yep we could drive six hours and we would never leave. <laughs> I wouldn't even like my dad lives eight hours away. So if we ever try to drive down there, it's it's like a whole day. Yeah, it's like a whole work day. He says, it's always a pleasure to listen to your podcast. Thank you. And thanks to it. I reread the Black Fleet Crisis again. I think just the second time in my life. I can agree with most of your notes. The ending is really a big letdown. And how stupid must the Yvethans be when they don't notice that any of their hostages are real? So the pleading hostages of the second book were also just force illusions or not? Sounds really far-fetched. Yeah. In, In retrospect, the illusion stuff, you just, like, wonder. So I think the way I look at it is the pleading ones were not illusions. Yeah. Because I don't think... Like the person who, the people who were with the white current and who were creating those illusions had not quite yet made right. that kind of progress there. I, I think it all happened so suddenly. They hadn't really had a t- chance to infiltrate and start freeing and saving people, especially so early on. Mm. Maybe. That's kind of how I look at it, but yeah. It, it, if you think they got there that early, then it does make that scene not work as well. But also just, I yeah, like this makes me think it's, it's kind of weird to think about the way the white currents illusions work, you know, like, can you walk through one of the people of the illusions? Like, it seems like it should take more energy than it takes to do those. But I don't know how the force works. 
in mysterious ways. Jan continues, Not that many notes on my part of the third book. In German, the title means Decision at Kornacht. You should know that since you have the German translation around. (laughs) Yeah, Tom. (laughs) Not sure what the German publishing firm thought while changing the title. I mean, Der Test des Terrenen, Tyrant's Test, also sounds like Homework for Fascism. (laughs) 1.01. I love that's a title. Homework for Fascism. Oh, that's great. Um, but I I kind of like the the title decision at Cornacht because it kind of tells you exactly what you're in for. You're not in for anything exciting. Somebody's going to have a board meeting. <laughs> like, you know? It, the title also sounds like something out of the Corellian trilogy. Ambush at Corellia, Assault at Salonia, Showdown at Centerpoint. Mm-hmm. Maybe they were trying to go with that Maybe? convention. I don't know. He also says, I wanted to write some of my considerations from the Mara Jade story in Stories from Jabba's Palace, called Palace of the Dark Suns in German. Not sure which Dark Suns there are on Tatooine, but it sounds evil. It does. I like that title. I do, too. Hmm. What is it referring to, though? I mean, like... Maybe just like a shadow from the sun that it casts inside? Maybe. I don't know. So after killing the Gamorians, Mara is climbing up from the Rancor pit and then coming up to the deserted throne room. And the next sentence is just, with a sigh, Mara put her attention back to the endless desert scenery. She failed. Her first real failure since the Emperor made her his hand. It hurt her really hard. There's nothing about pleading with Jabba to be on the sail barge. I know that factoid since Mara tells Luke this in one of the Thrawn books. So in your podcast, it sounded like there was a section where we see the pleading and the departure from the sail barge. It felt weird while reading, just like something was missing. Did the German translator just lose part of the text or what? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like, uh, depending on... I wouldn't say that she was pleading, is the one thing I will say. I was un Like, the way that she tells it to Luke is like, she tried really hard to get on that sail barge. The way it happens in the story, it's like she asks Jabba politely, and he tells her to leave, and she says, okay. <laughs> so I think it might depend on when and how this was translated. Because there was a story, I remember I read a while ago, about the translation of the first Metal Gear Solid game from oh, God, yeah. Japanese to English. and Just like one guy in Yeah, the it was room. one person doing it, and it was... Over, like, there's a reason, like, if you've played Final Fantasy VII in English, there are certain lines that just don't make a lot of sense. And now we're like, oh, it's kind of quaint. But no, it was really just someone kind of messing up the translation because it was kind of a rush job. So I, I wonder if, like, I'm assuming this was all translated in the 90s. If it was kind of a similar thing where just it was one guy trying to do all of this and missed a few paragraphs. Maybe. Or maybe he felt they were unnecessary. <laughs> maybe too. Or maybe, like, you know, he was told, like, they can only be X number of words. So if or you can X cut, number of pages. Yeah, so if you can cut sections out from various stories, try and do so. Yeah. And that one felt easy to do. At, that is so interesting, though. Yeah. Like, she just gets out of the Rancor pit, and she's like, well, I give up. I guess it's over. God, that, <laughs> that, That's even more disappointing yeah. than the actual story, which was already kind of disappointing. <laughs> uh, Young continues, says, also, I remembered that while filming the lead scene with Jabba in A New Hope, Jabba is missing Han from the Millennium Falcon, and Han is quite rude to him. Not surprisingly. Jabba was played by a big sturdy man, seen here, and he gives us a picture of what he looks like. Uh-huh. It is a big guy in an almost... Like a kind of furred vest. Yeah. Vest is a good way of putting it. Yeah. I was going to say fur coat, but it's really not. It's like a stole, almost. And Jan says, I think the, the big man from the beginning was inspired by this stand-in since he tells Mara... 
I once was Jabba the Hutt. And yeah, I, I do think that there is, I, we didn't go into this in great detail, but there, there is, um, I'm pretty sure that this man was, the one man, the one more I was talking to was that person from A New Hope to try and make them connect a little better. Yeah, to try and explain yeah. that. Because doesn't he also appear in a comic? Or is it a different creature? There's, in Kenobi, someone introduces themselves as, I'm also Jabba or something. And oh, right, 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 yeah. I don't think it was this guy, but I think it was, that was the original comic incarnation of Jabba, is what he was. Mm. So in the 77 uh, A New Hope adaptation, we do meet Jabba in front of the Falcon, and he's not a hut. He is some weird-looking alien, and that weird-looking alien is what's used in the Kenobi book. So we have three versions of Jabba. We have the hut, we have the alien from the comic, and then we have this human from the deleted scene in the New Hope. Yeah. <laughs> so different authors, different stories have brought these characters into, well, not canon, but into the EU canon. <laughs> in this case, Zahn did it for the, the human, and John Jackson Miller did it for the, the alien from the comic. And I'm going to say something inflammatory. Oh. Was the EU ever canon? <laughs> yes and no. Look. In my heart, despite the incredible year we've had with books that I do not like, I like I love the EU. Like there are parts of it that I genuinely love. Uh, I don't think the canon or not canon distinction matters as much to me as it does to other people. But like you know how George looked at this stuff. Like so he didn't think it there was actually canon. is a a canon tier, if you will. And actually, in one of the Legends Labs episodes, Aaron talks about this tier because oh. I asked about it specifically. And the, the, the top tier, if you will, was called uh, G. Cannon, George Cannon. Films. Yeah. Basically, everything we see on screen in the movies and eventually the Clone Wars. Mm-hmm. Actually, Clone Wars was T. Cannon. It was a step below that. TV. Yeah. Cannon. <laughs> so you've got the movies as the, the absolute canon. Then the Clone Wars were a step down from that. And then I don't remember what the EU canon term was called. It may have been E. Cannon for all I know. It was something else. And that was uh, below the Clone Wars. And then below that were stories that didn't even fit into the EU. Uh, Jedi Prince, I think, is a good example of that series because yeah. those six books, besides being god-awful, don't fit into the EU. And certain uh, short stories, like I think some stories with Boba Fett don't fit because of stuff that comes out in Attack of the Clones. So like basically, the EU is canon as long as there wasn't something in the movies that overrode, overrode them. So the instant we learned that Boba is the son of Jango Fett, or a clone of Jango Fett, just like the clone army, a lot of stories of Boba Fett all of a sudden are a lower level of canon than the rest of the EU. So there's like four or five levels to canon that the EU was part of. And under Disney, things have not been perfect in terms of canon matching up perfectly, but it has been significantly more consistent, I would argue. There was a point in the middle of your explanation. I'm so sorry. I love you so much. I care about what you say, but my head just filled with static. It was Charlie Brown teacher. Yes. Like this is what I mean when I say canon doesn't matter to me. Like you like the story, yes or no? Great. That's what's important. Yeah, basically. Like that's how I feel about it. We we do we talk about the EU because we love the EU and well, we talk about the EU because you tricked me into doing this podcast. Oh, that too. <laughs> I did not trick you. I wore you down. There's a difference. <laughs> Wearing a person down is a kind of trick. <laughs> but like, there's, you know, there's Legend of the Aaron Moat says, but there's, there's not a ton of EU love on the internet these days. And we want to talk about these stories. And also because these stories are 30 years old in certain cases, many cases, 
it's easy to read and people don't get that upset. If we were to like say talk about the Kenobi show, for example, we would get some very heated opinions based on what we liked and didn't like from I don't us. think we're big enough for anybody to notice us and our opinions. Agreed. But there'd be one person who would find us and would blast us for something we were wrong about. Or if like we got a certain detail wrong. Maybe. Like if I get a detail wrong in the Black Fleet Crisis, I don't think most of our listeners are gonna A notice or B if they notice care. Because again, this is a twenty five year old series that is too long and too complex for its own sake. Have we gotten any like inflammatory comments? Not to my knowledge. In the two plus years we've been doing this? All the EU stories are a pretty safe place. I think once we get to, like, say, the New Jersey Order or Fate of the Judge, like, you know, later EU stories where people are more divided about whether they like it or not, we might be more likely to get something. Uh-oh. Because <laughs> for the 90s EU, even for people who recognize that there are significant problems with it, like we both do, there's still a lot of nostalgia around it because so much of us grew up with some or all of these stories. So we can say things like, you know, the Black Fleet Crisis is... There's too much going on. It's too long. The ending was not satisfactory. People are like, yeah, that's right. But I still read this when I was a kid and liked it. Yeah. The New Jedi Order, I love. I know there's a segment of the Star Wars fandom who hates it. Wow. People were furious after the first book. Wow. Is that the one where the thing yes. happens? Okay. That well, was one of the things they were furious about. Yeah. But no, I, it wasn't just that. Okay. Like I, I think having a such a different antagonist people were mad about from outside the galaxy, the whole forces work oh on Oh my them. god, this is totally why Disney just will not leave the Empire alone. Mm-hmm. Because that's like the safest antagonist you can have in Star Wars. It's classic. It's timeless. All smart people hate fascism. <laughs> and like, look at... The, the Empire didn't exist, but the Empire in some ways were still the villain of the prequels, but not like the the one you saw constantly, right? Like yeah. So, yeah, I'm thinking how those were received. Yeah. Okay. Anyway, Jan says, hope you three are all right, and I wish you a great summer. Any vacations planned? Visiting family. Funny story, Jan. I did have a vacation planned, and it was canceled. <laughs> Unfortunately. You still got a nice vacation. I still took the time off of work. I stayed home. I saw friends. I did writing. I exercised. I played games. I enjoyed myself. But yeah, we had originally planned to um, visit my family. It was the first of our family tour vacations this summer. And just due to circumstances, we couldn't end up making our schedules align, uh, even though we originally thought we were going to be able to. So, oh, well, next month, we're going to try to go see Tom's family and we'll just... (laughs) We'll We'll just cross our fingers (laughs) that it goes well. Actually, though, Jan has inspired me. We need to just plan a vacation for next year. Yeah, we do. That's not during either of our work busy seasons. We've been saying that for a while. I know. Because right now, my work is in the middle of, like, just words that I can't say on this podcast. <laughs> like it's just work is is very is very bad for me in summer, and work for Tom is very bad in winter. So we kind of got a pinpoint somewhere, something in the spring, in between there. And Yon says, "P.S. Sorry for the rambling mail. Just me and my blabbering mouth on my first day vacation, and no apology needed. Have a great vacation. We love long emails. Yeah, these are a lot of fun to read. Obviously, because we blabber about them for." just dozens of minutes <laughs> Jan also includes a picture of what's called the erica picture and asks if we know where it originated and this is a picture of mara in Jabba's palace in slave attire dancing 
I've seen it before. Have you seen it before? No. And what, I, is, I, what is this costume? <laughs> I confess, I don't know where this came from. This is Mara with... Allegedly. Blue clothes on her. I has to use their clothes. It's like a fishnet shirt <laughs> with some... Uh, a well-positioned fabric over the, che- over the chest. <laughs> and like a flowing shawl and... Like the, like the bottoms are kind of like Leia's bikini. Yeah. Just like that kind of like flowing skirt that goes down and a thigh high boot. Sock? Boot you think or socks? Probably boot. Okay. And some kind of headband. Um, yeah. I've seen this picture. I don't know where it comes from. It's been for a while though. Really? Yeah. I've never seen this picture before. This is not what I imagine Mara looking like either. Though I recognize that she's probably undercover. There are there is an official Mara model. I don't think this is what that is for like covers and stuff. Wow, really? Mm-hmm. Wow, goodness, her hair is so big. Yeah, there was an official model, and I I really don't think that is her. Hard to say. Yeah, but I, I don't know this uh, image came from, unfortunately, and obviously you don't know. How no, many. I have no idea. It's been around for a while, but I do know. What an outfit! It doesn't quite fit Jabba's aesthetic. I feel like no, it doesn't. It doesn't feel to me like it fits in with the palace. Like it, it's kind of close to Ula's, but even that feels well off. Yeah, it doesn't seem like Ula's at all. That's the, it's closer to Ula's than it's to Leia's. I would kind of argue that it's closer to Leia's than Ula's because Ula's is that like interesting kind of leather, like. Just- doesn't Ula have some uh, fishnet on hers too? Oh, she does, doesn't she? That's why. That's why I think it's kind of closer to that. Fishnet was having a moment, I guess. I mean, this was the nineties. I guess Ula was the eighties, but it's coming back. <laughs> is it? Yeah, I mean, everything kind of nineties is everything recycles too. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, Jan, thank you for that email. Have a wonderful vacation. We hope you and your wife have a great time, and hope you get to listen to this on. One of your drives. Yeah. While relaxing, enjoying the sun. Next up, we are leaving the Black Fleet Crisis behind and discussing The New Rebellion, written by Christine Catherine Rush. You can look forward to that coming out on August 6th. Thanks to Thomas for editing. And thanks to Crystal for coming up with Crazy Idea. And thanks to you for listening. You can email us at tk331podcast at gmail.com with all of your Star Wars children's stories ideas. Story ideas? Yeah, stories, plural. <laughs> and you can follow us on Twitter at TK331Podcast. If you like this podcast, please tell a friend or a family member about it that you think would like it. Talk about us on the internet. Leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts or any podcast reviewing platform of your choice. And now here it is, your moment of Star Wars. And why do you think Danic Jericho killed this kitchen boy? No evidence. There is no evidence? And Snot Vampire never leaves evidence, so he must be guilty. Ortug's shoulders sagged. Gartog, get out of here before I cut your head off for the sand inside it. <laughs>